your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Jude, uh, chapter 1. Book of Jude, chapter 1. Uh, go to Revelation and just back uh, one book. Um, and I just wanted to give, give a, uh, a thank you to uh, Adam uh, for all that he's been doing in stepping up and, and uh, leading us in song. Uh, when you have a new baby at home, life is kind of uh, thrown upside down, and uh, he's just been faithful um, uh, to serve when needed. Um, I've watched Adam grow uh, tremendously over the past year and a half, uh, just his love for the scriptures, his care for his wife, so I'm grateful. Uh, and we should be grateful for him and the service he's giving to our church. Um, and also just another shout out uh, to Hoyle Ramsey. It's Hoyle's birthday today. You don't see Hoyle because you never see Hoyle because he's always up working the sound system. Um, but you always know um, where Hoyle's at. He's just a servant of our church and so grateful for his, his years of service. And um, pray that he has a, has a special birthday. He's, got, he's already had a cake. Is that right? So I think he, he's probably have a few leftover pieces tonight. But uh, say happy birthday to him. Um, give him a handshake and a hug this evening. Well, I'm going to read Jude. I'm just going to read one, uh, verse 1, all the way to, to verse 16. We're only going to be looking at verses 5 through 16, but it's a short book. It's only one chapter, and I want you to see the, the, the breadth of it. Uh, as we, we didn't have service last week, we want to make sure that we uh, understand the context. Uh, I'll read that passage of Scripture, then I'll pray, and then we'll dive into the Word together. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who do not believe. And the angels who do not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness into the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do, not understand that they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the sake of to Balaam's heir, and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs. At your love feast, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of outer darkness, utter darkness has been preserved forever. It has also been also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes 
with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them, against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud mouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Heavenly Father, as we approach this text tonight, we pray that you would give us insight. Or things that may sound difficult and harsh, we pray that you would just uh, show us the reality of the importance of contending for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. That the people of God here, Lord, would not fall into the air of the, uh, the false teachers, as Jude describes. Dear God, I pray that you would keep us, and that we would be kept in Jesus Christ until the last day. God, you who, who saved us, who called us out of darkness, are able to keep us. So, Father, I pray that we, as we just sung, that we would draw nearer to you. That we would not go away and, and go to the, to the ears of false teachers. But, God, that we would draw nearer and nearer to the cross of Christ. That we would cling so closely. That we would, uh, would grow in our, our affections and our desires to please you in all things. So, Father, I pray now, as the word of God is proclaimed, that you would accompany it by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so, as I mentioned before, Jude is probably one of the most uh, uh, least preached books in the New Testament. It's kind of like the forgotten book, because when you, when you read it, it doesn't sound like one that you're really desperate to preach. Uh, we've been kind of doing our, our study through 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and then on to Jude, and these are all kind of grouped together. Uh, they're grouped together because they share similar themes. So, those of you who are here when we went over 2 Peter... Second uh, Peter chapter two almost has uh, and three has very similar undertones of of the book of Jude, uh, verses five through sixteen. In many ways, can be a parallel uh, to the book of of Second Peter. Now we don't know if Jude was written first and Peter uh, pulled from pulled from Jude. Most scholars think so because if, if Peter went first and Jude probably didn't need to write his book, he could just say, Peter, look at Peter's writing. But he noticed at the beginning of this letter it says, beloved. Although I was very eager to write to you about a common salvation, Jude wanted to write a different letter. He wanted to write a letter that, to, to share in the, in the common salvation we have in Christ, the great hope and, and glory that we have in, in Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead, purchased through his, through his blood and brought into his kingdom. And he wanted to, to celebrate and rejoice in that doctrine. And yet he says, it was more necessary for me to write to you to contend for the faith. And I would say, as an American church, as a Western church, there are things that we can rejoice in, in the common salvation we have with our brothers and sisters in other denominations and our brothers and sisters in other places. And yet, I think it's even more necessary for us to contend for the faith, to fight, right, to, 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 to work hard um, to understand and believe in the pure gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the Internet. And because of the, 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 the easy access of information, we have to be ever more vigilant uh, to protect people from, with the truth. Uh, here's, my, here's my story that happened to me this past week. Um, Lindsay is teaching a class at, uh, his, um, at his apartment complex, going through the book of Matthew. They're in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I said, man, I have a great, uh, I have a book on the Sermon on the Mount on my shelf. 
I, got, I picked it up when I was in college. I'm one of those guys, when I see a book and, I, and people give it to me, I keep it and I never get rid of it. And uh, this book, um, it just, just covered the Sermon on the Mount, and I handed it to Lindsay. And I said, Lindsay, I can't promise you the theology in this book. I said, I read it when I was in college. I was a young Christian. I have no idea if it's good or bad. I have, honestly don't, don't remember it at all. And I handed it to Lindsay and just kind of went about my way, trying to be a blessing to him. And Lindsay picks it up and starts reading it, and the book is blasphemous. The book does not believe that Jesus Christ walked on water, does not believe in, in the inerrancy of Scripture. So what I did as a pastor is I handed him a book that I completely disagree with and say, hey, use this in your, in your teaching of Matthew chapter 5. Well, what I did is I didn't contend for the faith there. I didn't do my research on, on who was, was writing. Uh, do you know that one of the most common uh, commentaries used by Baptist preachers in the Southern Baptist Convention is by a man named William Barclay? Uh, and when I asked uh, a, a, a pastor friend here in town, do you have books on this? Uh, I think it was in the book of Hebrews. I'm about to preach it and go, teach it through a Bible study, and I would like to do some study. Do you have a copy of it? And he gave me these books of William Barclay. And, and, of course, when I get commentaries, I always research, well, who are these commentaries? What perspective are they coming from? And it says William Barclay didn't believe in the Trinity, didn't believe that Jesus Christ was the, the, a, the eternal Son of God. And that's the, the commentary that many people use in our denomination. So all I'm saying is that when we, uh, there, there's times when we sit back and we rejoice with one another and we celebrate the commonality that we have. And there's other times that we have to put on our intellectual, our mind, boxing gloves, and we have to contend for the faith, that we have to be willing to confront people. And that's what Jude is doing here. Uh, so look again at verse 5. Really, I see this, this kind of framed in, in two sections. Uh, the first would be the reminder of God's judgment of past sins. First thing that Jude does is remind that God is one who, who judges for the sins in the past, meaning that God has judged those who sinned in the past. He's trying to bring that to mind. Look what he says. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it. I, I think this is more his, his trying to say, listen, you already know this, but I'm just trying to, to tell you again. You know, rather than you've forgotten this. I think it's just the, the way the, uh, the NIV may have translated a little bit better here. It says, now I want you to remind you, although you fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt. It specifically calls Jesus here, the Lord, uh, who um, allowed e the Israelites to be, to be led out of Egypt. So if you're going to talk about the great narrative of the Old Testament, well, the great narrative begins in creation. Uh, then you have the, the patriarchs, and then you have the, the, the bondage, the slavery in Egypt, and then the exile. So in Egypt, if you are um, a, 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 a person who believes in Yahweh, the one triune God, after the Exodus, you're always looking back to the Exodus. Okay? And they're always looking forward to the Messiah. Well, we look back to the Messiah and back towards the Exodus and how the Exodus pictured the Messiah. And all of us are looking forward to that day when Jesus Christ will come. So depending on where we are in, in, in history. So the saying here is, uh, Jesus saved the people out of the land of Egypt. It says, after they were saved. Now remember, when they were saved in the land of Egypt, what did they see? They saw God's mighty power. They saw the, the nine plagues. And after each one, it was saying that God uh, invoked a plague, whether it was uh, to turn the, the Nile into blood or send frogs or create darkness. It was to say that you would know that I am the Lord. 
That was the command after each one. He wanted everyone to know that the God of the Israelites was the stronger, most powerful God. The ten plagues, the, 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 the perfect plague, the, the tenth one was God sent the angel of death to, to go through the camp. And all the firstborn of Egypt died. And the Israelites were spared. Why? Because the blood of the Lamb was, was over their do- doorposts. They were passed over, which we celebrate even today in the Lord's Supper, the Passover, how Christ passed over their sins. So all the, all the Israelites would have saw this. They would have seen the power of God working. And this is what Jude says. Those who saw the power of God, who saw God destroy the Egyptians with his mighty hand. That's what he says about those people. Afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. So the same people that saw God's mighty hand, who saw the, the great working of the, of the, of the Passover, the, the, how the, the, the Red Sea parted and fell upon the Egyptians, the one who saw the, 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 the food fall out of the sky, the one who, who drank water from a rock, those people were destroyed. They, were, they perished because they did not believe. So if you have your, your Bible, hold it there and just turn back a few books to the book of Hebrews. This is where this is, this is taught. It's, it's, there's a lot of themes kind of have woven through Scripture. Uh, so in, the, in, in Hebrews chapter 3, uh, what the author of Hebrews does is that he, he uh, explains um, how God's people of Israel always had their hearts set against him. I, I've been mentioning this a lot as we've been thinking about Genesis because Genesis was written to a people who had already seen God's power in many ways through the great acts of God in Egypt we're on the edge of the promised land, and we're, are they going to enter in this time, or are they going to continue to wander in, in the wilderness? Okay, that, that's the context of Genesis. So, in, in Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, quoting Psalm 95, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation, and said, they will always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways, and I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, the promised land. Now look down at verse 19. It says, so we see that they, these people who saw these mighty works, were unable to enter the promised land because of unbelief. So think about the context. Back, go back to Jude. What Jude is saying here, just like the author of Hebrews does, it's the same message, is that you must press on and continue in the faith. The faith that God gives is a faith that will sustain unto the end. It's not one that's going to stop. Right? If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, even we get that from, from verse 1, you are kept for Jesus Christ. He kept eternally. But that doesn't mean that there are not people who are going to fall away from Christ. Because you never know what's going on in someone's heart. You never know if the, if the, if the, the, the word has fallen on good soil. You know, uh, I, I just talk, taught that this past week to a group of uh, young men in our church. In Mark 4, it says that the seed fell on rocky soil. Right? It springs up quickly. And people are so excited. 
And then it says, when the heat of this life, when the persecution comes on account of the word, they fall away. The idea of falling away is the idea of apostasy. They turn away from, from Christ. And he's, he's writing this not as a... Um, he's writing this as an encouragement and a warning. Those who are in Christ are kept. So if you are in the church and you are hearing God's word and you are walking with Jesus, you should rejoice. Praise God for that. Right? The church is a, an assurance of salvation cooperative. When we gather together and, and walk together with Christ, we should be assured that we're going to find our happy rest in God in the last day. So we say praise God, praise God, and praise God. That's what he wanted to write about. But he also writes this as a warning. There's people in the congregation who are going after false teachers. And if you go after false teachers, you may be destroyed just like the Israelites did. So he's saying do not trust in the great things you saw of God. Do not trust in your years of service. Do not trust in, in all the things that God did in and through you. Do not trust in those. You trust only in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead and his ability to keep you until the last day. Because as soon as you start trusting in yourself, pride starts to fill up and that's when you fall. Pride comes before the fall. And there's people that Jude was talking to who were full of pride. They did not realize the end was, could be their destruction. This is the same argument that um, Hebrews does, Psalm 95 Second Peter. This is not an uncommon theme. Um, when we go on, it says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to look at this briefly. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Um, when I was preaching through Genesis, I mean, Genesis is a long book, and if I, if I spent all my time in Genesis, we would be in Genesis for the next three years. And I'm thinking that that's probably not going to be a good thing for the life and hearts of our congregation. Uh, so I, there's pr- certain passages that I've kind of skipped over in Genesis, and I haven't really taught. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, 1 through 4, poses a lot of questions. So Genesis chapter 6 begins this way. When man began to multiply in the face of the land, The daughters, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any that they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide a man forever, for his flesh, his day shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. It's a very obscure passage. It doesn't talk much of it. But in Jewish history, what most Jewish scholars would believe, that the sons of man were angels. They, they were angels who left their, their boundaries that God gave them in heaven and came down and took the form of men and um, took women as their wives. Okay, they had inappropriate sexual relationships with the daughters of, of earth. Now, whether or not that's the, the correct interpretation of Genesis chapter 6, we're not going to get into. But what is true is that every Jewish scholar in Jude's day would have believed that. So Peter says the same thing in, in 1 Peter 3. I think he makes the same idea here. 
they're, they're pulling out of, out of those uh, resources. So it says, Jude says, verse 6 of chapter, uh, Jude 1, 6, And the angels did not stay within their own position of authority. They did not trust God's word, but left their proper dwelling, and he has kept them eternal chains into gloomy darkness under the judgment of the great day. So he talks about these, these Israelites who saw the great working of God and angels who did not make it to the end because of their sin. Because they were lured away from trusting in Christ and Christ alone. What, what that should do, it should sober us. That should sober us in the reality of people falling away. Now I pray to God that none of us would fall away from Christ. That God would keep us to the end. Yet we know that there have been people who have walked away from Jesus. There have been people that you've shared with me in, who, who, who are in this church, super faithful, then one day just stopped coming. And they never could give you a reason why. But that person may have continued to be a Christian. We don't know. But we know that those who are, who are faithful to Christ are connected to his body, are connected to the people of God. So this is a warning. We see... Israelites, now we see angels in verse 7 of Jude. It says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities were likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example to who? To us and to the church of the first century by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So he connects Sodom and Gomorrah and the, the sin that was happening there to the angels of Genesis chapter 6. It says, likewise, um, indulge in sexual immorality. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was that the, um, the people there did not understand the boundaries that God set up for, um, for, for sexual relationships, confide in, in, in a marriage relationship. But they, it says here, pursued unnatural desire. When, when you see the idea of unnatural desire, this is the, the idea of same-sex relationships. Um, that was the reason why God sent fire from heaven to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, in our day, it is not um, looked at in our society as a um, positive thing to speak against same-sex marriage. So, in our in our neighboring state, North Carolina, many of our congregation work in North Carolina. Uh, the governor is trying to pass a bill that they're not going to have transgender uh, individuals to use the bathroom that they desire, but rather they want to use the bathroom in which they were naturally born. Um, you know, our, our state, our, 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 our United States government had the, the, passed the law that it is legal to have marriage between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. Right? And if you speak against that, you are shunned. So because North Carolina wants to pass this law, which seems like common sense, just even if you're not a Christian, just seems like common sense, the, 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 the National Basketball Association, the NBA, says, well, we're not going to have our, our basketball game in Charlotte. We're going to boycott Charlotte. We're going to boycott things that are happening in Atlanta because of uh, the governor wants to sign a similar bill in Georgia. We saw all um, things go crazy in Indiana when the, the governor of Indiana signed a similar bill. It is not popular in our day to speak against homosexuality. 
But look at what the text says. That God sent burning fire from heaven against Sodom and Gomorrah because they chose to uh, not listen to the boundaries of God's design, but pursued unnatural desire. That which is not natural. A man and a, ma- a man and a woman and a woman and a man. That is natural. Unnatural. Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter, chapter 1. Now, the reason why I have to, we have to say this, we have to continue to bring this up, is because there are denominations who have shifted and believe that homosexuality is okay. There is no conservative reading of the text, not conservative person, but no conservative reading of the text that says homosexuality is right. You can't make the argument from the Bible. And yet, there's denominations that once were very strong in the gospel. The Methodist Church has heralded um, the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ for centuries. There's many people in our denomination who have been raised in the Methodist Church. And yet, they now say that same-sex marriage is okay. That homosexuality is okay. That it's not going to be judged by God. They have come under the guise of false teachers, what we see here. The Episcopal Church. There are, there are now, now Southern Baptist churches who are, who are coming out with that same, same idea. The first Southern Baptist church uh, in our convention in, in Greenville recently came out and said, yeah, we are now affirming homosexuality as, as normative for the Christian life. This is what's happening. So you see how, how, how Jude wants to write a common letter to rejoice in our salvation, but he says, you must fight for the faith. Who likes to have confrontation? Who likes to, to contend with ideas and, and challenge people? It, it's not the, 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 the most exhilarating experience. You'd rather have, have a laugh and a joy and to encourage one another. And yet, brothers and sisters, you have children and grandchildren who are being influenced by teachers that are, that are going against Scripture. And if we don't contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, they may experience the same thing that happened to the Israelites who did not believe, to the angels who did not believe, and to Sodom and Gomorrah who did not believe and lived outside the boundaries that God has set. That is just reality. This is why Jude, in the first century, wrote such a passionate letter. He is not pulling any punches. Look what the last thing says. By undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Uh, Devin is very active in the apologetics world. And one of the things that is probably most under attack in evangelical Christianity is... Uh, the eternality of hell. There's a lot of people who think that hell is not eternal. That hell won't last forever. That when we die, we kind of cease to exist. This idea of an annihilationism, right? That we are just annihilated. Uh, the man I actually quoted this morning, uh, John Stott, hold, held that view, which I don't agree with. And I think you, you look at verses right here where it says that by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire, that those who deny Jesus Christ are not going to get off at the end of life. It, is, it has been appointed for a man to die once and then face judgment. 
And I said this before, but if you commit a crime against someone so holy and so incredibly infinite as God, the punishment has to fit the crime. I was reading recently a book by Thomas Akempis, and um, he says that there's two ways that uh, God draws people to himself. He says that the, the primary way is his love. Talking about how, how great his love is. That's what I was going at this morning. The glorious call, the miracle that God wants to call sinners into a relationship with him is absolutely astounding. When we realize how filthy and dirty we, have, we are because of our sin, both the sins that, that people know of us and the sins that we hold into our heart, right? If, 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 if people really knew what was going on in us sometimes, people would probably shun us. And yet God didn't. God pursued us in that. And he says, your sin will not keep me from you. I will pursue you. I love you. That's the primary way that God brings us to himself. And yet there is another way. Sometimes God draws us to himself by making hell that terrible. By making hell the awful reality that it is. A place where, there is, where the presence of God is there in judgment. Where there's weeping and gnashing of feet gnashing of teeth, outer darkness, a place where the worm does not quench. So if, if, if the love of God doesn't keep you in, in line with him, maybe the fear of God of what potentially could await those who deny God, who do not believe, that would be the, their, 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 their place. And, and listen, if, as we, if we think of how important this conversation is of heaven and hell, do you know every Sunday we are in a battle for souls? People walk into our place, and I know that there is people here today who do not, did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who do not believe in Christ. We, we are under attack every single Sunday, even now, that are we going to believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, or are we not? If you do not have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are going to perish. God sent his son so that no man would perish. Okay? So that whoever believes in Christ shall not perish, but receive eternal life. But if you do not believe, you shall perish. Do you understand the, the battle that we are in? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. But our battle is against the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realm. that wants to keep people blinded from seeing the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission as a church, is to remove the, the blinders, to remove the, the veil, to help people see the glory of the, of, of the gospel of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our job. How do we do that? We pray. We beg God to open people's eyes. We ourselves live our lives in such a way that would, would honor God. We treat each other with all the love in our hearts so that we stay on the line. And that we just encourage other people to, to stay on the, on the path, the narrow road that leads to, to glory. This is a serious thing. You know, when I was... Um, I'm, I'm, John MacArthur has been a, uh, a, great, a pastor uh, in Southern California that I've loved to read. And as he's gotten older, um, he's gotten a little bit more sullen and a little bit more, in his words, cranky. And they just, someone asked him one day, they said, you know, you don't smile very much, John. Why not? He said, well, I, I think that life is serious. 
And the more and more I, I get older, the more and more I realize how important um, the reality of heaven is and the stark reality of hell. You know, the church, what we do every single week is extremely important. Sometimes we may look at our pews right now and we see a lot of brown and we may think, man, what are we doing? You know, are we really making an impact? Let me tell you this. We are making an impact. We are making an impact for eternity. For eternity. Right? Because there are some who have walked away. And there are some who are going to walk in that door. And they're going to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And there, there's you who are here pressing on, walking with Christ. The reason why Jude wrote this book is that we would contend for the faith. For our faith for the faith of the people next to you, and for the faith of those who are yet to believe outside. Will we believe? Will we believe? We'll continue to, to, to look at this text in, uh, in the days uh, ahead. But, beloved, just understand the importance of what we're doing here. This is very serious stuff. Very serious. And I pray that we would um, take that to heart. We really would. Let's pray. Father, there are things that we want to talk about. There's things that we want to glory in. And yet, God, you called us to a war. You called us to contend for the faith in the midst of uh, a pagan world, in the midst of churches and denominations who have left Orthodox faith, who have turned against your Holy Scriptures. Father, we pray first that you would strengthen us, that you would keep us in your grace, that we would be kept, everyone here, be kept in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ until that day. We pray, God, that you would strengthen your church to fight, fight with our minds, fight with our, our purity, with our lives, God, that we would, would help people see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that you would help us win the lost that the people in this room would take the call of the gospel serious, that we would not forsake the opportunity that we have to preach Christ and Christ alone for salvation. God, let us not be silent about the reality of hell. But, oh God, let us not be silent about the glories of heaven. God, let, let us proclaim the great promise of God that in Christ we can experience eternal life. So, Father, I pray that you would strengthen your church. Strengthen your church, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.